Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 5th of July. I'm Jenny Tansin, with me reading the news are... Sue Perry, Hannah Green, Kate Hudman. Nigel Green is our engineer, Carol Hartle is working on the administration, and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are... Murder for money, evil killer is jailed. Criminal record checks blunder. Magnif- sorry, Magnificent Seven in my sights. Any patients wait for almost a day. Barbecue caused hills blaze. And 160 years in business at an end. Before the deaths, I'll read the um, thought for today which is Psalm 91, 9 to 12 verses. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in. Now the deaths for this week, uh, this month rather, sorry, this week. Arthur Frederick Bob Amphlett, Passed away peacefully on June the 20th, age 90. Service to celebrate Bob's life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on July the 18th at 10.45. Margaret Hallen, known as Betty, passed away peacefully on June the 18th, aged 82. Services at Pershaw Abbey on July the 16th at 1pm. Lawrence Frank Edward Handy passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on June the 8th, aged 81. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 6th at 1pm. Daisy Emily Lloyd passed away peacefully on June the 25th, aged 96. Funeral services at St. James the Great Church in Colwell on July the 12th at 12 noon. Dorothy Amy Mason passed away peacefully on June the 22nd, aged 95. The funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on August the 3rd at 11.30. Margaret Peck passed away peacefully in hospital on June the 9th, aged 88. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 6th at 3.15. Brian Bob Aspey passed away at home on June the 12th, aged 75. Funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 9th at 1pm. May Brett Passed away in hospital on June the 4th, aged 81. Funeral service is at St. John the Baptist Church in Clanes on July the 9th at 10 o'clock. Mike Spires passed away on June the 23rd, aged 63. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 9th at 11.30. Michael Robert Brooks, known as Mickey, passed away peacefully on June the 15th, aged 67. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 10th at 2.30. Vera Matilda Bedis passed away peacefully at the Lawns Nursing Home in Kemsey, aged 92, on June the 22nd. Funeral services at the Forest of Dean Crematorium on July the 16th at 11.30. Stanley John Crook, known as John, passed away on May the 29th at home, aged 82. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 10th at 11.30. Edna Matilda Preston passed away peacefully at her home on June the 21st, age 91. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 11th at 11.30. Sheila Bakewell passed away in hospital on June the 13th, aged 89. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 12th at 12.15. 
Joyce Violet Clifton on June the 21st, peacefully in Henwick Grange Nursing Home, aged 95. The funeral service is at White Ladies Aston Church on July the 12th at 2.30. Derek English passed away on June the 27th, aged 89. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 12th at 10 o'clock. Margaret Ford, known as Marge, passed away peacefully at Gold Hill Care Home on June the 23rd, aged 75. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on the 13th of July at 10.45. Stanley Rogers passed away peacefully on June the 20th, aged 89. Funeral services at St Mary's Magdalene Church in Himbleton on July the 11th at 2.30. Michael Rowlands, known as Mike, former police inspector, passed away at St Richard's Hospice on June the 23rd, age 77. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on July the 16th at 1.45. Ronald Thomas, known as Jim, passed away peacefully on June the 20th, age 96. The funeral services at St Matthias Church, Malvern Link, on July the 11th at 11.30. Our deepest sympathies go to all the family. I'll pass you on now to Sue for the first headline. And this headline is from the Worcester News on Friday, June the 29th. Greed was the motive for a man who murdered his disabled neighbour in her Worcester home. (coughs) Adrian Jenkins was yesterday jailed for life after being found guilty of the murder of Julie Fox following a three-week trial. Jenkins had befriended the 51-year-old who had cerebral palsy before killing her at her Carnforth Drive home on Wednesday, December the 27th last year. That evening, Jenkins' brother raised concerns after not seeing Miss Fox for a few days and went with Jenkins to check on her, finding her dead in the hallway. Jenkins called the ambulance Paramedics noted a strong smell of gas in the property, but she had died of a blunt force head injury. A murder investigation was launched, and on January the 2nd, Jenkins was arrested. Forensic evidence recovered from Miss Fox's bungalow and analysis of CCTV, mobile phone and Wi-Fi data all pointed towards him as the offender, which led to officers charging him. The investigation established that on December the 21st, Jenkins had taken Miss Fox to Ombersley, which she had asked to visit. The next day she was visited by her carer and was described as in good spirits, speaking about looking forward to going back to Ombersley with Jenkins on Christmas Eve for midnight mass. Soon after Miss Fox's carer left, Jenkins left his bungalow alone. CCTV footage captured him driving along Carnforth Drive, passing her bungalow twice before parking up in Ennerdale Close. He then walked to the bungalow and let himself in through the front door just after 7.15pm, where he remained inside the property until just after 9.50pm. Miss Fox's handbag was also found to be missing from the property and despite numerous appeals, it was never located. Jenkins pleaded not guilty to the murder but was yesterday found guilty by a unanimous verdict after a three-week trial and sentenced to life with the 44-year-old told he would be serving a minimum of 33 years in prison. 
Following the verdict, Mrs. Miss Fox's brother said, My sister Julie was a vulnerable, disabled woman who was unable to defend herself from the callous, cowardly attack. She lived alone and was befriended by Jenkins, who took this opportunity to rob Julie of money and her life. My mum and I would like to thank everyone who has brought this evil man to justice, in particular the officers involved in the investigation as well as the technical and support staff. Detective Chief Inspector Leighton Harding, the senior investigating officer, said, Julie Fox was a popular and well-known woman in Worcester and her death during the Christmas period shocked the community. Adrian Jenkins committed the most brutal murder on a defenceless, vulnerable woman and tried unsuccessfully to disguise his crime for five days whilst he carried on as normal over the Christmas period. During this time he paid off debts and bought Christmas gifts. There was no limit to the depth of depravity he would sink to in order to get away with murder, even placing members of the public and emergency services at risk of harm by turning on the gas hobs of the cooker in an attempt to cause an explosion. Despite his apparent acts of goodwill for Julie, it was clear he used their friendship and her reliance on him to exploit her vulnerability for his own financial gain. His motive for murder was financial greed. In the time Jenkins was in Julie's home, he brutally attacked and murdered her, showing a total lack of regard for human life. He has now been found guilty of this horrific crime and this dangerous man will now face justice. Our thoughts remain with Julie's family and friends as they continue to come to terms with her death. Whilst no length of sentence can ever ease the pain felt by Julie's loss, I hope that the verdict and sentence will provide a, a small sense of closure for her family. I would like to thank the witnesses for their valuable contribution in giving evidence in the case and the local community for their support. Finally, I would also like to thank all the officers, staff and our partner agencies for their professionalism and commitment throughout this complex investigation. And on Saturday, June the 30th, the headline was Criminal Record Checks Blunder. Cleaners and porters are not undergoing criminal record checks before working on wards in the city's hospital. Worcestershire Royal Hospital took immediate action after finding out some of its contracted staff had not been vetted. The workers employed by ISS are now being buddied up with colleagues who have been cleared by the Disclosure and Barring Service. Unison Union officials said the blunder put vulnerable patients and other employees at risk. A whistleblower who works in security at the hospital said... They have a team down from Derby trying to get it sorted. We have people on wards who haven't had a check. At least 50, if not more, don't have CRB checks. Another employee said, we have got vulnerable people in the, con in the hospital. We have baby units. They, the porters, are moving patients with their belongings. A spokesman from Unison said this was critical of ISS. We are highly concerned to hear ISS private contractors were allowing employees without valid DBS checks to work in hospital wards, where it is obvious there are poorly patients, some of whom inevitably will be vulnerable adults and children. 
allowing this issue to fester not only poses a risk to the public, but it also is a health and safety risk to workers. Simon Jacobs, communications director of ISS, said a small number of hospital staff had not been fully checked in line with company policy. He added, we're in the process of urgently completing these checks following a full internal investigation. While the checks are being completed as a safety measure, the small group of employees involved have been buddied up with colleagues with full DPS certification. Mr. Jacobs said employees will be allowed to return to work unsupervised if they are cleared by the DPS. Worcestershire Royal Hospital said ISS is responsible for making sure all its staff have the necessary employment checks. A spokesman added that he took action after becoming aware of the problem and said staff without checks were being supervised in clinical areas to safeguard patients. Hospital bosses have launched a review to find out how the blunder happened. On March 3rd this year, there were a number of thefts at the hospital. Car keys and purses belonging to workers were stolen from staff rooms while they were treating patients. Police appealed for information after the thefts in which ward offices and staff areas were raided. Officers said the potential suspect was seen on CCTV to interact with a silver Land Rover Freelander, possibly passing the stolen items to the occupant of the vehicle. The headline for Monday, July the 2nd, Magnificent Seven in My Sights. A man who is running a marathon each day for seven days in memory of his friend who committed suicide believes more should be done to encourage depression sufferers to talk about their problems. In what what he has coined My Big Year, Tom Hunt from Worcester starts the seven-day, 185-mile Offersdyke trial today. Completely self-supported, the first of several challenges. The 26-year-old is hoping to raise £2,000 for mental health charity Mind after close friend Nathan Tompkins died in 2016. I lost a dear friend to mental health issues after choosing to take his own life. He was an amazing man, unique and at times a bloody fool uh, in in the most amazing ways, but he was loved by everyone. Referring to mental health, Tom continued, Nobody talks about it enough and it's such a shame. I wish he had said something to me. It was such a shock. Tom said he went through a spell of depression himself earlier in life and admitted if he had not spoken about it to friends and family, it could have escalated massively. I spoke about it and did certain things about it, like taking on endurance challenges, and it's all helped me. Tom and Nathan met when they were five or six years old at Scouts and completed several endurance challenges together, including the Three Peaks. Nathan even carried Tom's 10k backpack along with his own toward, along with his own towards the end because his friend was struggling. I have now chosen to fill my life with adventures, friends and experience, and I owe a lot of this to him, said Tom. Tom has described himself as going from non-runner to ultra-runner, having only taken up the hobby last summer. I'm pretty new to this whole game. I haven't even run a marathon yet, he admitted.
Having done 13,000 miles of training, Tom has suffered copious amounts of injuries. It's just getting used to the pressure on the legs and the pounding, he said. It's a shock to the body. I've had muscular injuries which have put me out for weeks, torn calves and tendons swelling up. Unlike many similar challenges, the Offers Dyke Trail is not an organised event. The trail runs along the border of Mercia and Wales. It's become the his, his, this historic route, but it's all self-supported, so I have to manage where I sleep and eat and everything, said Tom. I've got a very basic tenting setup. I've even chopped my toothbrushes in half just to get rid of any excess weight. To prepare for the isolation of the challenge, Tom said he has been training to run without headphones. Being mentally prepared is as important to this challenge as being physically fit to do it. It's not the London Marathon where people are cheering me on all the way. I've got a couple of friends who are going to meet up and um, come and find me for lunch and, and whatever. At the end, you, the run, run, you run into the sea and that's the end of it. Tom has raised £1,000 of his goal and is looking to raise another £1,000. I will be wearing a tracker, so if you wish to take part in a small segment of my trip, then please message me. The idea is to promote people to talk about mental health and would love for people to share their stories and change themselves, he said. Tom will also be cycling from Land's End to John O'Groats in September. You can sponsor Tom at justgiving.com dash fundraising dash thomas dash o dash m dash hunt or contact him on tommyhunt7492 at gmail.com. And the headline for Tuesday, July the 3rd, A&E patients wait for almost a day. Patients faced waiting times of more than 22 hours at the city's A&E department after a busy weekend for the hospital. An NHS website showed that the longest waiting time at Worcestershire Royal Hospital was 1,352 minutes at 2 a.m. yesterday. Worcester Acute Hospital NHS Trust said that the site had an extremely busy weekend, although it has taken measures to ease the pressure. Peter Pinfield, Chair of Health Watch Worcestershire, said, The red light starts flashing after six hours. We have 18-hour breaches, which is one reason the Trust has been in special measures. It's serious stuff. The very warm weather has added to the complications that people with conditions have had with breathing. If people do need treatment, should we be sending them to Worcester? Could they go to Birmingham? Mr Pinfield added that the longer patients wait, the more likely they are to suffer complications, which could potentially prove fatal. He said delays also affect the mental health of patients, carers and staff. But a spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust said, We had an extremely busy weekend at both our emergency departments and we would like to thank all our staff, as well as colleagues in our partner organisations, who worked hard to make sure our patients were cared for safely and effectively. We've started today in planning two-week programmes of coordinated work with our health and care partners, which will help ease pressure on our urgent care system and free up beds by making sure that all patients who are medically fit for discharge can be sent home or transferred to another care facility in a safe and timely way. 
We would also like to remind local people of the range of alternatives which are available for urgent health care and advice, including minor injuries units, pharmacists and NHS 111. To view waiting times at hospitals in Worcestershire, go to www2, that's the number two, dot WorcesterAcute, nhs.uk forward slash how dash busy dash r dash the dash emergency dash departments dash and minor dash injuries dash units right dash now forward slash. <laughs> well done, Jen. <clears throat> and this is the um, headline from Wednesday, the 4th of July. Barbecue cause hills blaze. Firefighters were still battling flames on the Malvern Hills last night, more than 24 hours after the blaze started, and a barbecue was the cause of the inferno. Crews had dealt with the worst of the blaze, but were still tackling pockets of fire. A five-acre area of shrubbery and grass near West of England Quarry had been engulfed by the fire which broke out on Monday afternoon. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service Station Commander Tom Morgan said the blaze was caused by a disposable barbecue. Around 95 firefighters have tackled the blaze with the worst of the flames put out on Monday night, but crews remaining at the scene into last night. Andy Jones, a fire crew commander at the scene, told the Worcester News yesterday, We came in this morning at 7am to take over from the crews that were here last night and this morning. Our job is to get as many hot spots as we can with backpack extinguishers. It's arduous work going up and down the hill, carrying the backpacks. Last night, a spokesman said there were still pockets of fire. Mr Jones, who commands a retained crew from Founhope in Herefordshire, said that around four to five acres of grass and shrubbery were burnt in the blaze. He urged people to think twice before taking disposable items onto the hills, such as barbecues, cigarettes and bottles. Mr Jones added, with the grass being as dry as it is, it will be a massive risk. Resident Judith Mott, aged 57, of West Malvern Road, first became aware of the blaze when she heard sirens near her home. She said, We heard the sirens and our daughter came home and said she saw what she thought was a bonfire. That was at about 4pm on Monday. We saw the smoke. We have been here for five years and this is the first time there's been a fire on this side of the hill. We used to live on the other side in the past and there used to be more. It's quite rare now. Blazes also broke out at the old Tolodyne Golf Course in Worcester and Blackminster in Evesham yesterday. For the latest on the fire, see worcesternews.co.uk today. And today's headline, Thursday 5th July, is 160 years in business at an end. The company that built Worcester Fire Brigade's first fire engine looks set to close after 160 years of business. All of the employees at CSS Fire Vehicles were made redundant on Tuesday, according to a source. The business, formerly Carmichael in Weir Lane, Worcester, was once one of the city's largest employers. The insider claimed that the business is set to enter liquidation later this month although this has not been confirmed by CSS Fire Vehicles. 
City Councillor Richard Uddle, who represents the area, said it's a tragedy for everybody that works there. It was one of Worcester's largest employers at one stage, as one of the few fire engine manufacturers in the country. But it hasn't been able to keep up with competition, mostly from outside the UK. There are too many fire appliance manufacturers and not enough customers. It's a very competitive market and with fire authorities under constant pressure to make savings, they can't buy new appliances. A source who is familiar with the details of the closure said there used to be about 170 people there in its heyday. It's a shame. It's a historic company. They used to have a factory on Gregory's Mill Street and petrol stations on each entry to Worcester. They have had several buyouts. They are Malaysian hands at the moment. The insider said around 25 full-time members of staff were made redundant on Tuesday. She added that some of the workers had been with the firm for more than 30 years. The company's website states that it built the first fire engine for Worcester Fire Brigade in 1947. Carmichael was started as a coach builder in 1849 and exported to 80 countries. CSS Fire Vehicles was unavailable for comment. If you have any old pictures of the Carmichael factory, please email md at worcesternews.co.uk or ring 01905 742263. And now some of the items you may find interesting. Church painting is a masterpiece. Herefordshire's finest church has proved to be home to a unique masterpiece of the Last Supper, experts have discovered. St Michael's and All Angels in Ledbury, claimed by Pevsner to be the finest parish church in the country, is highly unusual in having two versions of the famous scene. A copy of Leonardo da Vinci's depiction forms the altarpiece, but a second 16th century painting on the west wall by a different artist is believed to be an original. Artist and conservator Ronald Moore, who restored the Last Supper copy at Ledbury ten years ago, was commissioned to restore the spectacular 13-foot-long painting, believed to have once been an altarpiece and possibly brought to this country as a result of a wealthy Herefordshire family's grand tour of the continent. Research to date suggests that the mystery painting is closely related to the workshop of Paolo Cagliari, who was known as Veronese. Intensive studies by Mr Moore and his research assistant, Patricia Kenny, have so far indicated that the work was completed 60 years after da Vinci's famous painting. This is turning out to be more important than we realise, said Mr Moore. It's probably mid-16th century from an Italian Renaissance painter who was aware of Leonardo's Last Supper in Santa Maria della Grazia in Milan. I knew we were onto something of a masterpiece, he said. Research to date suggests that the mystery painting is closely related to the workshop of Paolo Cagliari. The artist was one of the great Venetian Renaissance artists comparable with Titian and Tintoretto and known for his large-scale paintings of religion and mythology.
Several pentimento, that is, visible traces of earlier painting beneath layers of paint, show that this is an original and very rare Last Supper version, said Mr Moore. The connection with Veronese seems likely, he said. A vulnerable elderly woman has been fleeced of her life savings by fraudsters posting as police officers. The woman, aged in her 80s, who lives alone in St John's in Worcester, received a telephone call from a man purporting to be a police officer from Hammersmith. He told her that her money was not safe in her bank account and offered to collect it for her and put it into a safe account on her behalf. The telephone call was received on Friday the 29th of June at around 2pm. She withdrew 5500 from her bank and later that day a courier arrived at her door and she paid over the cash in an envelope. The courier is described as an Asian male in his early 20s very thin and wearing casual clothes, who said he was called Alex. The Worcester News has agreed to protect the identity of the woman who has told officers at West Mersia Police that before the man arrived at her door, she received a number of telephone calls from a man claiming to be a police officer, asking her to withdraw her large sums of money from her account and telling her not to tell anyone. D.I. David Knight of West Mersia Police, based in Worcester, said similar incidents had been recorded elsewhere in the country, but this had been the only such offence in the city recently. The effect of the fraud has been to make her suspicious of the very people who are there to help her. He said, She is distressed to the point where we have had to give her a code word so she knows where real police and not pretend. Police officers would never ask for items to be purchased or money to be transferred. D.I. Knight said it was possible that such offences were underreported because victims feel embarrassed and that others with dementia may not even realise it had happened at all. He, had it, he added, don't be embarrassed, report it. Inspector Tanya Beckett said it was likely the fraud had been carried out by an organised crime group. She said, they're specifically looking for vulnerable people, mainly elderly, to target. This is her life savings. My mother is 18, 80, and we all have a relative that we would be concerned about who would possibly be taken in by this. Please look out for your elderly neighbours and relatives. Those with information about this offence can call West Mersia Police on 101, quoting incident reference 975S290618. And this is another um, not very nice article about a masked robber. Um, a driver was jailed after a terrifying robbery. Masked robbers, one wielding a knife, raided the home of an elderly couple, threatened to stab their dog and tied them up before making off with cash and jewellery. The robbery in Cutnall Green near Doitwich involved three men, but only the lookout and getaway driver, Adrian Sharp, was ever caught after his DNA was found on the shoelaces used to tie up the couple, both aged 91. The 52-year-old, who has since had his foot amputated after developing gangrene, was jailed for eight and a half years on Monday at Worcester Crown Court after appearing via a video link from prison. He hung his head and stared down at the table in front of him as his sentence was delivered by Judge Nicholas Cartwright. Catherine, Catherine 
orchard prosecuting said Sharp's basis of plea was that he had not entered the couple's home but had driven his two accomplices away from the scene following the robbery. Miss Orchard said this was a pre-planned, deliberate, targeted robbery. The court heard how the couple are still living in their home after the robbery, which excuse me, took place at 5.40pm on Saturday, November the 7th, 2015. The elderly man, who has heart problems and a pacemaker fitted, answered the door of his bungalow. He was confronted by two males, both wearing masks over their faces, one of them brandishing a knife, who, who said, ''Where's the gold? Where's the money?'' before then entering the property, said Miss Orchard. The robbers stole £100 in cash, but also demanded the £300 bracelet on the elderly woman's wrist. She tried to remove it, but struggled to do so, and it was removed from her wrist by one of the robbers. Miss Orchard described how the woman managed to hide her precious rings so they were not stolen. The elderly man got more cash between £200 and £300 from his bedroom and handed it to the robbers. One of the males made reference to stabbing their pet dog. They were concerned this dog might attack them, said Miss Orchard. The robbers demanded the woman's handbag, taking £100 in cash from inside and removing credit and debit cards before the couple were told to go into the lounge and sit down. The robbers left, removing the telephone to delay the couple calling the police. Eventually they were able to get free and use a pair of scissors to cut the remaining ties from their wrists before hitting the panic alarm. Police found Sharp's DNA on the shoelaces and he was arrested on December the 11th at his home address in Bromsgrove. Officers seized £350 from a safe in his bedroom. Sharp gave a no-comment interview to police. However, when he was in custody on other matters... Police bugged his telephone calls and recorded him talking about the incident at Cutnall Green, his DNA being on the laces and about him receiving the proceeds of the robbery. Miss Orchard described Sharp as having an appalling criminal record with 32 convictions for 121 offences, 79 of which were theft and kindred offences. He was still on bail for the robbery at the time he committed a burglary on February the 17th last year against a 69-year-old widow with heart problems who had known the defendant from when he was much younger, Sharp having grown up two doors away from her. Lee Egan, representing Sharp, said the couple appeared to be made of rather sterner stuff than other victims of such offences and stressed that they had not been roughly handled. The elderly male victim described himself as having been calm throughout. Mr Egan said of his client, he's suffered amputations already and that may not be the last of the amputations he has to undergo. He does express remorse. Judge Nicholas Cartwright described it as a sophisticated, organised offence and he said that there were a number of aggravating features, including Sharp's previous convictions, elderly people being deliberately targeted, the steps taken to prevent reporting the crime and use of restraints. The judge jailed Sharp for eight and a half years, which will be consecutive to the five-year sentence he's already serving. 
The Princess Royal was at Worcester Racecourse to celebrate its 300th anniversary. The Princess unveiled a plaque to celebrate 300 years of racing at the historic Pitchcroft site, presented trophies and met former jockey legends. Worcester Racecourse spokeswoman Jenny Cheshire said, We're absolutely delighted to welcome the Princess Royal to Worcester to celebrate 300 years of racing and to present the trophy for the Arctic Spa steeplechase. After an 85-year absence, the Worcester Grand Annual Steeplechase was brought back to life on the racecourse yesterday with jockey Jonathan Burke and horse Best Work stealing the winning title. The historic race ran from 1836 to 1933 and was one of the most important races in the National Hunt calendar, producing winners such as Burton in 1853, who won on to win the Grand National in 1854, and the the Princess Royal's connections with Worcester Racecourse stretch back to 1987, when she rode her own horse, Crocknaquil, winning the three-mile Droitwich Handicap Chase. Also at the race course were several former racing legends, including Joe Mercer, Stan Mello, Ian Watkinson, Jimmy Lindley, John Frackham and Bruff Scott, who took part in a special anniversary dinner and auction in aid of the Injured Jockeys Fund. Police appear to have successfully cracked down on Warndon Village's off-road motorcyclists that were causing a serious nuisance earlier this year. In February, the Worcester News reported that angry residents went to the police complaining that motorcyclists had been riding at speed around the streets and on pavements. The issue got so bad in March that the then Warndon Parish Council Chairman, Ray Morris, said people were afraid to take their children out and walk on the pavements. At the time, West Mercia Police's PC Jason Hart appealed to residents to take photographs and videos when they saw antisocial behaviour incidents so they could rush out to catch them. But in an encouraging police report given at the latest meeting of the council held on Monday, councillors were were told that there had been just one incident of an off-road motorcyclist in June in Hillwood Close. The recently appointed new parish chairman, Nick Fielden, said this was very good news but he remained cautious that the problem could still return. To have just one is certainly very encouraging, he said. We should be grateful to all the members of the public who reported incidents to the police. With their help, we got a picture of the issue. Obviously, though, we have a long summer ahead of us, so let's see. It would, I would say to residents, keep reporting incidents to the police by calling 101. Also at the latest meeting of the parish, councillors discussed a possible timetable for a neighbourhood plan. If it gets the go-ahead, the plan would be designed to stop further development of the M5 Protection Corridor, a section of green space dividing the housing of Warnton Villages from the motorway. Parish Councillor Andy Taylor, who is responsible for planning and rights of way and who is one of those leading the leading work on the plan as part of a steering committee, said the aim is to distribute a questionnaire in Warnden Villages in September, with a second questionnaire before the end of the year. 
He said the next stage would be, would be put together in draft plan in early 2019, with the aim to submit the finalised version to the City Council by the end of April. We expect from then the process to take another six months, Mr Taylor said. The target is to complete the exercise and know the referendum result by December of next year. The plan could be the very first ever introduced in the city if it gets the backing of residents in a referendum. On Tuesday, residents, businesses and tradesmen in the city came together to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Armed Forces Day. Hundreds of people flocked to a special street market organised by Worcester City Council in support of past and present servicemen and women. The event taking place in High Street outside the Guildhall included a 40s-themed singer, a war reenactment and many stalls. Businesses and tradesmen decorated their stores with Union Jack flags to mark the occasion. Justin Bowen of Witchbold Fudge said, I come here every weekend. When I saw they were going to do the two-day market for Armed Forces Day, it was something. I felt compelled to support. They do such a brilliant job, and obviously we all owe them a great deal, so I didn't have to think twice about supporting them. Maxine Lloyd and Tony Ashfield of Quirky Crafts and Clocks said, We support the armed forces anyway. My father, Peter Lloyd, is a veteran, and Tony's father, George, was in Burma during the war. She added, It's important to raise awareness and keep their memories alive, as well as instill some of the ideals. Warrant Officer 2nd Class of the Mersian Regiment, Tim Humber, said, It's important to keep the army in the public eye. People came with their children to talk to us about careers, just to have that face-to-face image of the British Army. The Armed Forces Day flag was raised above the Guildhall in preparation for the event. The Council also encouraged staff at busy businesses and organisations, as well as residents, to take pictures while saluting and then post them on social media. A wife grabbed a car steering wheel to avoid hitting people at a bus stop after her husband lost control. The man was believed to have had a heart attack at the wheel as he came onto the A443 from the Mosley Road Junction with his wife said to have taken the wheel to steer the car away from pedestrians and into a hedge. He was then airlifted to hospital while the road remained closed for over half an hour. According to people at the scene, his wife took hold of the wheel and steered the car into the hedge to avoid hitting people waiting at the bus stop. A police collision officer said the car came out of the junction and steered straight into the hedge, just missing the bus stop at around 11am. The officer said the man had suffered a medical episode. He confirmed it was just the driver of the vehicle who was treated by ambulance crews. The patient and ambulance staff had left the scene by around midday. The car involved was a silver Mitsubishi Lancer, which was still in the hedge at 12.30pm, while police prepared to reopen the road. The A443 was closed from the Mosley Road Junction down past Hallow Primary School to the Sholton Lane Junction following the accident. Patricia Williams, 56, speaking at the scene, said the air ambulance landed in the field behind the crash opposite the post office. She said she heard the driver had suffered a heart attack or had had a stroke and his wife had not been injured. I just hope they're okay. that's the main thing, she said. Another witness said she heard the crash from inside the post office.
A spokesman for West Midlands Ambulance Crew said that their crews were called just before 11am and confirmed that the patient was in a serious condition. Crews from two ambulances and the air ambulance treated the man. Students will soon be staying in a listed building in Henwick Road. Permission has been granted to turn the YMCA building into a new halls of residence for students and to build another block for rooms on the site. Private student housing provider Purple Frog made the application for approval. Planning officers told councillors on Worcester City Council's planning committee that the new block is not a pastiche or a copy of the distinctive Victorian Gothic main building, but is very sensitive to the site. Councillor Chris Cawthorn said, Will this development, which is surrounded by houses in multiple occupation, which is HMOs, mean existing HMOs be returned to the market as family homes? If not, I'm concerned about the scheme because the density is far too high. If this was a house, it wouldn't pass the test, and as a consequence, I can't vote for it. Fellow committee member Stuart Denley-Maxwell said he was concerned about the number of wardens to ensure good behaviour on site by students living there and added, with the growth of the university, we will need more high-class accommodation like this. Councillor Roger Barry added, this is much better than more HMOs and has to be a great improvement on the current site. Councillor Mike Johnson, chairing the meeting, pointed out that the YMC currently offered 83 rooms, so the plan increased the density of housing. Worcestershire County Council's Highway Officer Steve Hawley told Councillor Lynn Denham that his analysis suggested use as a student accommodation would produce less traffic than use by YMCA, as students would be living very close to their academic campus and would probably walk to classes. Councillor Louis, Louis Stephen said he was glad there was storage and parking for more than 150 bicycles and asked the University of Worcester to ask students not to bring a car to university. The listed original building dated from 1868 and will be converted into rooms and communal space for 87 students. A new building on the site behind the original on Henwick Road will be used for a further 67 student bedrooms. The complex will also have a gym, a cinema room, laundry and communal lounge and study spaces. The YMCA is using the money from the sale of the site to find its proposed purchase of the Sansom Walk swimming pool complex. The plans were passed overwhelmingly by the committee. Hundreds of foam-covered fundraisers enjoyed an action-packed day at Worcester Racecourse on Saturday to raise money for sick children. The Acorns Bubble Rush saw more than 700 friends and family flock to the racecourse to walk, run and jog their way through a sea of multicoloured foam. The five-kilometre Soapy Spectacular was held to raise funds for Acorns Children's Hospice, which cares for life-limited and life-threatening children's illnesses across Worcestershire and the three counties. 
Participant Katie Linzel of Hallow Road said, It is a good charity. It's a fun family thing to do for a good cause. Sam Carroll added, We moved to Worcester last year and we are part of Slimmer, Leaner, Stronger in Sherry Street and they support Acorns, so we've signed up. It's about doing something for fun, a bit of fitness and it's for a fantastic cause. Melissa Rose of Warwickshire said, I work for a regional adoption agency, so we are supporting other child-based charities. It's about having fun, getting sponsorship and supporting others. Acorn Senior Events Officer Sam Greatrick said, It has been an awesome day. It was an amazing sight seeing hundreds of smiling people being showered with masses of bubbles. Thank you to everyone who signed up to take on the bubble cannons and to all the volunteers who worked so very hard. Your help and generosity means Acorns can continue to fund vital care for children and young people and support for their families. Star Bubblers, participants who raised £100 or more in sponsorship, were given VIP treatment and received a limited edition T-shirt and goodie bag. Sam added, we're thrilled that Bubble Rush was great fun for everyone involved, but from a fundraising point of view, events like these are so important. Acorns needs to raise £10 million a year to fund the care that we provide. Now this is an article about um, Worcester Warriors, um, the rugby team, Worcester's rugby team, and um, it's about... um, uh, Chris Pennell is it I think Worcester Warriors star Chris Pennell insists he is ready for a hectic campaign on and off the pitch after launching his testimonial season more than a hundred youngsters turned out at Six Ways yesterday for a free rugby camp as Worcester born Pennell kick-started his year his benefit year. The 31-year-old is set to stage a series of events over the next 12 months in a bid to raise funds for Diabetes UK, Acorns Children's Hospice and the Grace Kelly Ladybird Trust. And with Warriors players recently returning for pre-season training, the long-serving full-back acknowledges he will have a lot on his plate as he looks to hit the ground running in the 2018-19 to Premiership campaign. I have got a very hectic life anyway with a young family, so this will add to that, Pennell said. But there is no problem, as I have got a supportive team behind me. I do have a day job to consider, and this year is huge for me and the club. I will make sure we get the balance right, as we want this season to be incredibly enjoyable on and off the field. We are really excited and looking forward to the challenge. Since making his senior debut in 2007, Pennell has gone on to make 201 appearances for his boyhood club. He has clinched promotion from the championship twice and won an England cap when he toured New Zealand in 2014. But Pennell described heading into his testimonial season as a very surreal experience. I am still expecting to wake up and go off to university like I was supposed to when I left school, Pennell said. But it means a massive amount to me. It is a very humbling experience and daunting as well. It is just a huge opportunity for us to engage in the community and hopefully raise a significant amount of money to go to our three wonderful charities. 
Penorth follows in the footsteps of Worcester scrum half Johnny R, who has recently completed his testimonial season. We are looking to come off the back of the incredible work that Johnny did and hopefully keep it going, Penel added. We have got plenty of events in the pipeline, but we have just got to wait for the fixtures to come out on Friday before we can finalise things. Lynette Cutting, Honorary Education Officer at Warriors, was selected as Chair of Pennell's Testimonial Committee, named CP15. Chris has been an extremely loyal servant to Worcester Warriors, having played for them at the Premiership level for the last 11 years, she said. This is now our opportunity to thank him and also support his chosen charities. Among Pennell's chosen charities is the Grace Kelly Ladybird Trust, set up in memory of Grace Elizabeth Kelly from Kroll, who passed away in 2014 from a malignant raboid tumour. The charity's Victoria Billings said, Chris is a father himself and there will be a lot of young families that come to his events, so it is great to have him on board. We are working really hard to raise awareness of childhood cancers and funding research into solid tumour cancers. Sarah Cope, community fundraiser for Acorns Children's Hospice, said, We are absolutely thrilled that Chris has chosen us as one of his charities. The money raised will go directly towards providing vital care for babies, children and young adults and support families through a very difficult journey. For more information on Pennell's testimonial season, visit www.chrispennell.co.uk. And our next item is on Worcestershire County Cricket. Ben Cox's superb performances for Worcestershire Rapids in the Royal London One Day Cup this summer, with the bat and behind the stumps, are reflected in the final averages. Cox ended as Rapids' highest run scorer in the competition with 396 and was a model of consistency throughout with crucial and sometimes match-winning contributions. But he also ended as the keeper with the most dismissals in the entire competition, pouching 18 catches in the nine matches, four more than Derbyshire's Darren Smith. The 26-year-old scored three half-centuries, including a vital 80 against Warwickshire in the final North Group match, and a memorable 122 not out in the semi-final against Kent, who were beaten in the weekend final by Hampshire. Cox ended with an average of 79.2, and his run tally edged past Callum Ferguson, who was 79.2 who scored memorable tons against Leicestershire and Northamptonshire. The Australian did, however, top the batting averages at 94.25. But there were impression contributions all down the order, with different people standing up to be counted when they were needed. On the bowling front, Ed Barnard was the leading wicket-taker with 16 scalps, but Moeen Ali, Charlie Morris and Brett Oliveira all made sizable contributions. Moeen topped the averages and was also Worcestershire's most economical bowler in the cup. Chuja Johal picked up three wickets and top scored for Worcestershire 
Academy in their 90-run tri-series lost to Leicestershire at Uppingham School. Johal finished with 10 for 1 and 28 for 3 as their academy counterparts were bowled out for 190 in 47 overs. He dismissed numbers 3, 4 and 5 in their lineup after Ben Attrell removed the openers. With Rico Parker Cole picking up three lower order wickets, Leicestershire collapsed after being on 86 for 1. Zahid Kafiat conceded just 10 runs in his seven overs. Johal opened the reply and scored 25 of 44 balls with four boundaries. Zain Ul Hassan, 17, Aaron Thompson, 15, not out, and Kafiat, 12, also reached double figures, but the county were dismissed for 100 in 27.3 overs. Leg spinner Mo Ahmed, 5 for 36, and Don Butchard, 3 for 29, were the main wicket takers. And now some football news. Defender Tyler Weir looks set to rejoin Worcester City before doing a training session with Westfields, despite signing for their Midland League Premier Division rivals. A seven-day notice was handed to Fields on Monday, but the Hereford Club's management say they have not been contacted by the Ledbury-based fullback, who can also play in midfield. We haven't seen Tyler for pre-season as yet, and then we had a seven-day's notice which was a bit strange after he committed and signed for us, said Fields, head of senior football Sean Edwards. That's up to him, but it's a pity he hasn't told us yet. Obviously, other people have told us he is going back to Worcester, but it should be the player telling us. At the end of the day, we are in a position now where if a player doesn't want to play for us, then we don't want them. If that's his character to sign and commit and then not give us a chance, then that is pretty poor. If that's his level of commitment, then we don't want people like that. For whatever reason, he has had a change of heart, so good luck to him and to Worcester. Fields play their first game for the Dennis Hartland Memorial Trophy at Pegasus Juniors on Monday, July the 16th. Kidderminster Harriers will launch their 2018-19 National League North Champion campaign with a trip to Alfreton Town. The Reds will take on the Derbyshire side at North Street on Saturday, August the 4th, before welcoming AFC Telford United to Agborough for a local derby just three days later. Neil McFarlane's men will also face Ashton's United, Darlington and Stockport County at home and travel to Chester and Curzon Ashton in a busy August. Boxing Day and New Year's Day will see Harriers take on newly promoted Hereford with a home contest coming on January the 1st. Hereford start their maiden National League North season with a home clash against Blythe Spartans on Saturday, August the 4th. The opening month also sees the Bulls visit Nuneaton Borough, Curzon Ashton, Chorley and Chester while hosting Leamington and Bradford Park Avenue. Hereford boss Pete Beadle said, We are starting a week earlier than last year, so have got two extra games. It will be a big start. It's nice to see, to, nice to get the first home game of the season, so hopefully it will be a big crowd and a decent performance early doors. 
August is going to be tough, but that's why you have a pre-season to get ready for it, so we can go out and perform. It's also nice to have a home game on Boxing Day, as we have been away the last two years. And now some more cricket. Uh, again, Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Martin Guptill is looking forward to being reunited out in the middle with one of his former flatmates when Worcestershire Rapids launched their Vitality Blast campaign at Lancashire Light Lighting tonight. Now, I don't know when tonight was, but obviously not tonight. Guptill was a Derbyshire Falcons player when he and Rapids' hard-hitting batsman Ross Whiteley shared an apartment one summer. The New Zealand opener never had any chances to bat in tandem with Whiteley, but quickly realised how destructive a batsman he could be on his day. That power has blossomed with Rapids and last summer Whiteley became the first English player in NT format of the game to hit six sixes in an over in a blast match at Yorkshire. It led to a winter of playing T20 cricket in the Bangladesh Premier League and Pakistan Super League, in addition to the inaugural T10 competition in Shurjar. Now, the likes of Guptill, Whiteley, Rapids official blast captain Moeen Am Ali, Callum Ferguson, Travis Head and Joe Clark will all be available at various stages and present a powerful batting combination. Guptill said, I lived with Ross in 2012 when I played for Derbyshire for a second season. He was my flatmate. We've had a good few stories that we've been reminiscing about and he's a good bloke. I only played T20 for Derbyshire in the one year and we batted together at the crease only once but it went quite well and we had a bit of fun. It was quite a good partnership and hopefully I can stay in long enough and bat with him again when he comes in further down the order. He is one of the cleanest strikers of a ball that I've seen. Luckily for us at home in New Zealand, we occasionally get a few games from the blast on the TV when we wake up and when we wake up and I've seen him take a few attacks apart. Hopefully he can do it quite consistently during the blast this year. Rapids are looking to bounce back from a disappointing 2017 blast campaign starting at Emirates Old Trafford today. Guptill said, Cricket is a tough game and T20 is one of those games where if you lose a critical moment of the day, the day is gone. It's all about winning those key moments and making sure you come out on top at the end of the day. But we've got a really good squad. Guptill is available for the first eight of Rapids' 14 blast fixtures before heading off to play in the Caribbean Premier League. He, has, he is an in-demand player in all the top T20 competitions around the world, given the destructive nature of his batting. Guptill added, One of the best things about doing all these things is you get to learn other cultures. For example, the IPL is completely different to the CPL, which is completely different to the Blast here in England. You get to experience a whole lot of different cultures and things, but it's actually good fun at the same time. You make some good friends that you may not otherwise have made if you didn't play cricket. A former human rights lawyer is advocating a peace conference be held in Worcester to help solve one of the Middle East's most intractable problems. David Hallmark, retired from the city's oldest law firm, Hallmark Hume, believes the template of the Treaty of Worcester of 1218, which pioneered the two-state solution 
and brought to an end hostilities between the English and the Welsh could be used to resolve the conflict between Israel and Palestine. He said, The trauma and the tragedy of the conflict between the Jews and the Palestinians is fraught with tensions, so that any debate or commentary could be considered either anti-Semitic or anti-Islamic. These two religions clash in the region known variously through history as Israel and Judah and Palestine. The two-state solution envisaged by discourse and documents seems to be mired in misery as two forces meet in violence without prospects for harmony. The past role of Worcester might lend itself as a location for further attempts to find a discussion between sorry a discussion towards a settlement instead of escalating conflict with consequential damage to millions in the two states and many more in the Middle East and other countries involved as allies to one side or the other. Mr Hallmark believes the primary reason for Worcester hosting a convention would be the special link the city has with the development of a two-state solution and also with Jewish history and with Palestine and the former British mandate. The Treaty of Worcester, 1218, drew on the concept of a two-state solution between England and Wales and established more states should trade across their boundaries rather than by terror and conflict. He added, King John, who is buried in Worcester Cathedral, imprisoned much of the Jewish population until they paid enormous taxes called the Talage. When John signed Magna Carta, it included provision that debts due to Jews by minor underage heirs should not carry any interest until the heir reached adulthood. His son Henry III enforced the anti-Jewish laws in the Fourth Literal Council of 1215, which included the notorious dress code of the yellow patch to distinguish them from Christians. The Jews were formally expelled by his grandson Edward I in 1290. By contrast, after the Battle of Worcester in 1651 and the victory of Parliament over the King, a movement started to readmit the Jews, and this was confirmed by Cromwell and a Council of States. Uh, sorry, the Council of State in 1656. It was not until 1858 that English Jews received formal emancipation. The Worcestershire Regiment served in Palestine, trying to keep the peace between the indigenous Palestinians and the Jews and the Jewish settlements. Its role was primarily between 1938 and 1939, during which time several soldiers died, four in Jerusalem. Mr. Hallmark said, the League of Nations Committee with the British Mandate and the Arab Higher Committee with the Black Head and the Arab Rebels and the Zionist Commissions with the Stern Gang and the Haganah, a parliamentary organisation, were the principal players in the conflict which will soon be marking its centenary in 2020. In celebration of 1218 and the Treaty of Worcester proposing a two-state solution to otherwise traditional interactable borders, sorry, interactable border boundaries, land disputes and the subsequent events with Worcester connections with King John and Cromwell, what if in 2018 a conference of Worcestershire was convened and which sought to assist 
the peace process and two-state solutions between Palestine and Israel to complete to be completed by t- 2020. A widow whose husband was knocked down and killed by an elderly motorist is calling for the mandatory driving tests for over 75s. Stephen Priddy was knocked down and dragged under the car of Leslie Gaskins when the 90-year-old pressed the accelerator instead of the brake as he reversed. As previously reported, Gaskins admitted causing death by dangerous driving at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday following the tragedy in Martley on Sunday, September the 17th last year. Mr Priddy, aged 66, died at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham after suffering multiple injuries, including serious head, pelvis and leg injuries. He left behind a widow and a daughter, then 12. Shona Priddy instructed specialist road accident lawyers at Irwin Mitchell to investigate and has spoken for the first time about her loss. Mrs Priddy, 39, said, Stephen was such a charming, warm and lovely person who was well liked by everyone who knew him. We still can't believe he is no longer part of our family and there is not a day goes by where we don't think of Stephen and all the plans we should be making and memories we should be creating. What makes it even harder to come to terms with is that his death was so unnecessary. No sentence will bring Stephen back. If any good can come out of Stephen's death, it would be through the introduction of annual mandatory driving tests for elderly drivers, not only to protect other road users, but the drivers themselves. For many elderly people, driving helps them maintain their independence, which is important, especially in rural areas. But what is more important is that they should be able to prove they are not a danger to the public so other families don't have to suffer the heartache we have because of Stephen's death. Stephen Priddy, a former partner of chartered accountancy firm Harrison Priddy in Bromsgrove, was married to Shona for 14 years. Their daughter is now 13. He enjoyed playing rugby, cricket, hockey and running and had just completed a five-mile run before the crash. Mr Priddy was previously a member of Bromsgrove Hockey and Cricket Club. Gaskin was sentenced to two years' imprisonment, suspended for two years, disqualified from driving for five years and will have to take an extended driving test when eligible to apply. There were scenes of jubilation across the city after England's victory over Colombia in the World Cup. Readers sent in pictures and videos of fans celebrating in Worcester after the match on Tuesday night. Supporters were filmed chanting and climbing up lampposts at the cross in Worcester after England won the game on penalties. Jamie Andrews, aged 21, of St George's Lane North, Worcester, said it was very rowdy and the crowd was full of energy, but it was actually really pleasant to see everyone just happy and having some fun, with nobody causing any issues from too much drink, etc. The police had smiles on whilst doing their job, keeping everyone safe too, so tops to them. Despite the rowdy behaviour, a West Mercia police spokesman said it did not appear anyone was arrested at the cross. Worcester Carnival has changed the start time for its procession in the city to avoid clashing with England's game against Sweden on Saturday. 
The parade will begin at 2.30pm instead of 3pm at Worcester's Pitchcroft, ahead of the quarter-finals, which also starts at 3. Francina Oforio, who owns Francini Café de Colombia in Angel Place, said the celebrations were good-natured. He said, it was sad, but I have lived in this country a long time, so it was like seeing my two countries play. Although I was sad for Colombia, it was an amazing match. He added, the cafe is open now, it's only a football match. Bosses at Acorns Hospice in Worcester have moved to reassure neighbours' concerns about the effect of a new car park at its Bath Road site. The charity was given permission to construct a car park for staff at the hospice, which will be accessed by a currently gated entrance from Norton Close. The application to Worcester City Council had been called in to the planning committee by Councillor Louis Stephen because of of the concerns of nearby residents. Many were worried that the Norton Close entrance could become a main access to the hospice, making traffic in the area worse, and some felt a new car park was a Trojan horse and would lead to further development of the site. After the planning committee members voted overwhelmingly to approve the application, Acorn's chief executive, Toby Porter insisted neighbours should not be fearful. He said it was obvious from the objections that people were understandably worried the application was a precursor to more broader development. I am happy to reassure residents that this is not the case and we will operate the car park with sensitivity to local residents' concerns. There has been a long-standing need to improve the existing car parking facilities at our Bath Road Children's Hospice and the new parking area which repurposes existing grounds within the hospice has been designed to relieve overcrowding of our current car park, ensuring we continue to provide a safe and welcoming environment for our children, families, volunteers and staff. Final preparations are underway ahead of Warnden Village's summer fete this weekend. Lippard Hub in Anchorage Green will be hosting the family-friendly event this Sunday. The fete takes place between noon and 4pm and live music from local duo Mel and Him and DJ Chris will get the event underway in the early afternoon. Throughout the afternoon, there are a variety of family-friendly activities planned, including pony rides, traditional fairground rides, fun inflatables, bungee trampolines and face painting. Organisers expect the star attraction will be walking, growling T-Rex as part of a live dinosaur show. At 2pm, the popular fun dog show returns with eight classes to enter. Entry cost is a pound, and entry forms are available from Lippard Hub's reception, with tomorrow is the closing day for entries. Lippard Hub Deputy Manager and Events Organiser Maxine Roberts said, We are always so excited about the summer fate. This is the 11th year that Lippard Hub has held this community event, and every year it gets bigger and better. There is something for everyone to take part in, and enjoy and the event also gives the group that use sorry that use the center the opportunity to showcase their talents lippard hub has been at the heart of the community for 23 years 
and this event is all about people coming together and celebrating the good work that goes on here and all of the people who use the centre. We would like to say a huge thank you to Warnden Parish Council, Tesco's and all the amazing volunteers without whom this event could not happen. For more details or to book a stall, call 01905-616-841. Traffic chaos near a Worcester tip has been described as bedlam by residents. Residents say weekend congestion in Bilford Road near Worcester's recycling centre is so dangerous someone could be hurt or even killed. Sally Layton of Bilford Road said, It's just ridiculous. We often come here from different directions so that we avoid the queues and there have been so many accidents, partly because the road is not wide enough. People go into a Saturday football match, also park on both sides of the road, and it causes bedlam. She added that the situation was exasperated after an island was put in the middle of the road, making the route even narrower. An anonymous resident of Bilford Road said, The difficulty we have is people turning right because it backs up past here and stops people being able to get out. Malcolm Smith of Portyfields Road said he feared someone could be killed. He said it's absolute chaos. This is going to be an accident waiting to happen. The traffic is from the tip to the shop at the start of Astrid Road. Some drivers are driving on the wrong side of the road so they don't have to wait in the queue for those who are waiting to go to the tip. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman said, At peak times, the site on Bilford Road, as with household recycling centres across the country, can experience high volumes. We ask that drivers remain patient and safe during these busy times. Steer residents could soon be trying their luck within, with the Worcester Lottery. Councillors will consider setting up a local lottery to raise funds for city charities. The scheme would allow residents to sign up for entry into a weekly draw and to specify which local causes benefit from their subscription. In return, they would enjoy the chance to win a maximum jackpot of 25000 in the weekly draw. Worcester City Council's Income Generation Subcommittee will be recommending to back the establishment of a Worcester City Lottery at its meeting on July the 10th. Councillor Pat Agar, who chairs the subcommittee, said, As a council, we are committed to ensuring Worcester is a prosperous city with strong and connected communities. This lottery would support many charities and voluntary organisations that provide services for our residents and I hope councillors will support it. If it is agreed, the new lottery would only raise funds for local causes in Worcester. Beneficiaries could include scouts and guides groups, sports clubs, drama groups, arts groups and charities supporting vulnerable members of society. Players would sign up for a subscription to the lottery online and could nominate which organisation should benefit. There would also be a general fund which players can choose to support. The maximum jackpot prize in the weekly draw would be £25,000 or 10% of the gross ticket sales, whichever is the greater. Rollovers will be allowed if no one wins, up to the same £25,000 limit. 
If the subcommittee gives its backing, the proposed lottery would need approval from the Gambling Commission before it could be launched. The Council would bring in an external lottery manager to operate the scheme. A one-off fee of around £3,000 would be paid to the manager to set up the new digital platform to run the lottery, and the council would then pay an annual licence fee of around £1,000 plus around £2,000 a year for marketing of the lottery. The income from the lottery would be expected to be split at 60% to good causes, 20% to the prize fund, 16% to the external lottery manager for administration management and 4% VAT. The council says the proposed Worcester lottery would be run as a low-risk model that would not encourage gambling. Players could only take part by signing up in advance. There would be no instant reward and prizes would be relatively small. The marketing of the scheme would focus mainly on the potential for supporting voluntary charity and community groups. Final preparations are underway for the launch of an art trail that will see 30 giraffes placed around Worcester. The six-mile trail features 30 large giraffes and 27 small calf sculptures and will run until Sunday, September, 20, September the 16th. The trail is a wild in art event brought to the city by St Richard's Hospice. It will launch on Monday, July the 9th. Sarah Matthews, project manager for Worcester Stands Tour, said, After many months of careful planning, we can't wait to unleash, unleash our gorgeous giraffes onto the streets and open spaces of Worcester. We hope you will join us to enjoy this spectacular showcase of artistic talent and raise money for the hospice's Build 2020 appeal while celebrating our wonderful city and county. The large sculptures have been decorated by artists, both from the local area and across the UK, while one is designed by singer and actress Toya Wilcox. Among the sponsors for the art trail is Andrew Grant Estate Agent, which has sponsored a giraffe sculpture. Katie Chesterman, Lettings Manager at Andrew Grant, said, Worcester Stands Tall is a fantastic initiative and we are privileged to be involved with such a great cause. We're excited that the event is happening right here in our wonderful city and we are very much looking forward to sharing the enjoyment of it with the local community. The calves have been created by schools and community groups for a display in the City Crown Gates Shopping Centre. One final calf will be on show in a location soon to be revealed. Trail maps will be available from points around the city, including Worcester Tourist Information Centre, Worcester Cathedral, Crowngate Shopping Centre and the Worcester Stands Tour pop-up shop, also located in Crowngate Shopping Centre. There will be an app in time for the trial available from the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Once the trail has ended, there will be a final chance to see all 57 sculptures together at Worcester Cathedral before the large giraffes are auctioned. This farewell event will take place from Thursday, October the 4th to Sunday, October the 7th. The auction takes place at DRP in Hartlebury on Thursday, October the 11th.
And that nearly brings us to the end. Um, but there's a very important notice on the general data protection regulations. Um, please listen carefully. On the 25th of May 2018, GDPR became law. It means that everyone has to give permission for any business or organization to hold information about you, i.e. your name, address and telephone number. In order for Worcester Talking News to send you weekly recordings, books or the magazine, we need to hold your name, address and telephone number. These are held very securely and are only available to the administrator who receives and dispatches your wallet. You do not need to do anything if you're happy with this arrangement. However, if you do not wish us to hold your information, please tell us. Either leave a telephone message on 01905 767766 or put a note in your wallet. This will, however, mean that you will no longer be able to receive recordings and, if you have any of our equipment, we will need to collect it. Should you have any questions, please contact us as detailed earlier. It may also be helpful to let someone else listen to this announcement if you are unsure. We hope you continue to enjoy our recordings, but are required by law to make this information available to you. Um, and on a lighter note, our uh, Ruby anniversary, which is 40 years since the talking newspaper hit the streets, to celebrate, please join us between 2.30 and 4.30 on Saturday the 28th of July in the Commandery grounds. There will be music and displays and refreshments and all are welcome. That's volunteers, families, friends, neighbours, no specific invitation required. Any offers of help, much appreciated and you are all very welcome. Um, lighting up time is 21.31 to 4.55. We wish Michael Day a very happy birthday on Sunday the 8th. Um, if there's anybody else who uh, is celebrating a birthday, please let us know because we'll put it in our diary and uh, let everybody know to wish you a happy birthday. Um, our emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6pm to 8pm is 0300 and the National Health Service number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre is telephone number is 01684 Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall and uh, anything that's on for you. Worcester Hub number for Council Matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stop is telephone number 0800 555 Our telephone number is 01905 767766. Our address is 11 Wiles Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. Um, listeners are kindly reminded that we have an extensive library of talking books, fictions, thrillers, romance, etc. Talking books are available in many forms, uh, tape, CD and USB stick. We can provide a list of books in the library in large print, hard copy tape or USB sticks. Please leave a message on, your, on our answer phone, um, telephone number 01905 767766 or put a note in your talking news wallet. 
And that leaves us just to say have a lovely warm week and I think another warm month and maybe even longer. But uh, enjoy.